Review, review, review. Ba 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 bum bum. Review, review, review. Ba 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 bum bum. Review, review, review. Re review, re review. With me and you. Ba 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 bum. Welcome to our Time to Show Up review episode, where Natalie and I take a deeper dive into last week's interview. If you hadn't had the chance to listen to that yet, you might want to check it out before listening further here. It'll make a lot more sense that way. That's right, because in this episode, we will be talking more about the theory behind the material that came up in that interview, so we can better understand the elements that were going on there. We'll also be suggesting reading, practices, and models that may help listeners like yourself who are experiencing resonant challenges and opportunities in their own lives. In this, our first season of Time to Show Up, we're making all of our content freely available to the public. But in the future, these review episodes will only be available within our subscriber community. Members of this community will have access to all Time to Show Up content, plus additional resources, materials, access to online forums, live events, and small groups. Since we know that just listening to stuff isn't usually enough to facilitate desired change, We've designed this community to give you the support you need to take your learning even further. And if you join us at the start of our journey and sign up before April 5th, 2024, we're offering a no-strings three-month membership for free at timetoshowup.org. That's right. And if you choose to stay on with us, which we hope you will, we'll give you a 25% early bird discount just to say thank you. If you're tuning in after that April date, don't worry, you can still try out a free two-week membership with no obligation. There are different packages to choose from, and you can find out more and get in touch at timetoshowup.org. So without further ado. Thanks for joining us back for this little review session after what was a really fun and exciting conversation with Antonio. Um, what were some of the things that stood out for you from our conversation? Right. Uh, the main thing is his readiness. Oh, yeah. like, I feel like he's ready. I feel like he could still get in his own way, but I feel like he's ready. And this is one of those exciting things that I've learned later on in my career as a psychotherapist. So like as a therapist, we're used to talking and thinking and exploring blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like for a really long Going time. Going into the depths. Yes. And it's really only in more recent years that I've realized how important behavior is that you can mm. sit and talk to someone for years and years and years, but there's a point at which that doing, do doing has to happen. Yeah. And while we live in a society that probably has too much doing and not enough exploring, mm. sometimes in cases like um, Antonio's, I think there's the doing bit, right? Yeah. So what really stands out for me is um, the prevarication about taking that move because there's so much loaded on it for yeah. him right in that this idea of play like if he can just play with it if he can just do some things if he can jump in the water to see what the temperature is like without overthinking it I really think that's going to be the key for him that's the really mm -hmm. kind of strong feeling that I get right right mm -hmm. from the back of his interview yeah I think so alongside that kind of the action point of it just being time to just do something and it can be a little thing certainly the the who are you to dot 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 that that element um the part that kind of perhaps points towards a lack of self-worth or um, he also like, there was a very gripping image that made me think of Alice in Wonderland, strangely, mm. of like through the looking glass, but he talked about it as not yes. being able to, to cross and this sense of a barrier where you can see somehow either what's reflected or what's beyond, 
um, but not being able to take that leap. And it was quite a poignant example or metaphor for what he's talking about, because he is talking about the creative block uh, and, and this idea of entering into a cinematic world. So yes. To, to capture <laughs> it. Behind the that. screen or in yeah. front of the screen. Yeah. But it was really uh-huh. poignant. Um, and one thing that I think was really interesting, and I'd love to hear, because I know you want to talk about this, was what you surfaced about the egosyntonic and dystonic kind of polarity, perhaps. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. So there's this whole thing. I mean, there was that funny interchange we had when I said, you know, you can be <laughs> you can be comfortable and unhappy or scared and uncomfortable. Yes. So like those are the two choices. <laughs> and and while I know that that feels grim, that that often is the moment that happens with this egosyntonia and egodystonia situation. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that people get themselves into a comfort zone that is egocentric for a period of time. And that can be anything. It could be like that you don't exercise very much. Like I'm comfortable with that. I don't exercise and I don't have to go to the gym, which sucks. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you start to feel lethargic and it Mm -hmm. becomes ego dystonic and you're like, okay, I need to make myself uncomfortable. I don't want to be sitting around anymore. Yeah. So there's a little bit of leaping from the frying pan into the fire about it. But when an ego syntonia around something that you really want to change in your life turns into an ego dystonia. It is a good thing because it means that the heat in the pan is getting too hot to still feel comfortable. And so you think you're comfortable there, but actually you're not. This happens a lot with comfort eating as well. Like people will be like, Oh, and then like when you really are mindful about it, it's like, this feels gross. Like Mm. this feels or procrastination Mm. and any of that kind of stuff. So to make a long answer and do a shorter answer is he really kind of needs to dig into the dystonia of it, right? Yeah. The discomfort of staying where he is and saying, actually, I don't want this. And on the lighter side, to not take it so seriously with mm. the choices, right? It's like, I want to make a brand new career tomorrow, right? But play around, try something on, do weekend workshop, talk to these people, yeah. um, make a short film. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. just see what different things feel like. So you get out of that locked uh, position. Yes. Yeah. I think there was also the, there was a, the, the element around attention and interest in so many things, which I, you know, definitely resonates with me. The sense of having a lot to choose from, but it can also be, and he did raise this. We didn't kind of go so deep into this, but a distractibility perhaps, or an attention um, theme that came up. And, it's one of these things where it can be very, and you talked about, again, this kind of inferior superior complex, the idea or, or capacity where it can be very comfortable to operate in the way that you've always operated in. So the sense of I'm constantly busy or I'm constantly distracted by the shiny and the new. And that's not to take away from people who find it harder to focus or easier to focus. There's, there's so much in the mix there. But it's really interesting when you think about what are the things what does it do for you to be distracted? What does it stop you from having to engage with? Um, and that kind of perhaps that anchoring in that creative calling that he describes as having had as a child, but the parents, the mother particularly, got quite a bad rap, which mm. was, no, you have to have a serious career. And we hear this time and again. Yes, we really do. You know, and it's not just for the creative industries, although you do largely see it there, but all sorts, which is, you know, don't do this because X, Y, and Z do that. And then coming to a tipping point or to a stage in life, often it is the the landmark birthdays or uh, landmark moments where you think, actually, is it really that I'm so busy? Is it really that, you know, what's beneath? What would I much rather be doing if I could find the resources or the mechanisms or the frameworks to dig deeper? What would I dig deeper towards? And I I think this idea 
<clears throat> about your story for yourself as well is really important. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Antonio has a story for himself about his incapacity to pay attention to one thing longer. Huh. And I wonder how much that is a story because he was also indicating, you know, the events that he was in last weekend that he really enjoyed and seemed yeah. to be able to pay attention to and all this kind of thing. And like, we had a conversation before you and I about conscientiousness and that like, I feel like I have always been an unconscientious person. Like mm -hmm. I went through school doing homework and forgetting to bring it in, coming to tax time and like yeah. having to like that, that craziness about like having to get everything together yes. in the right way. And now I'm super conscientious and people are like, Oh, you're a really conscientious person. And I say, I'm, I'm actually not conscientious, mm -hmm. but I've put in a whole series of things yeah. to because I'm not, right? You've trained so to, yourself. I have trained <laughs> myself, right? And yeah, some people like will have more difficulty in various areas than others. But if you have a story, like if I just held on to that story, well, I'm just not conscientious, so I can't do anything that mm. has detail. I think it would really hold myself back, yes. right? So there might be an issue with attention, but you might also have a story for yourself that, well, I just can't do anything that. Mm. So trying some of those things out, whether it's the Pomodoro technique that yes. we talked about before, you know, <laughs> slices of time, we can talk about that a bit, but just being wary of defining yourself as a certain kind of person. And then back to that question of identity, which has shown up in other conversations, which there's one thing identifying things that are difficult in an ongoing way to oneself. And then there's another thing in identifying that as a core immovable part of who you are. When the self is malleable, we talk about the, you know, the MBTI and the constellations yes. of traits, you know, things can change. We do have our general capacities, proclivities, characters, but these are movable as well. Um, not necessarily a whole place for saleable. You can't, oh, not resaleable, what's the word, replaceable. It's not like you can kind of suddenly get a complete transplant. Yeah, you can't of change your, your character. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are some examples in which case, in which, yeah, of cases in which that happens, but usually through big accidents or neurological um, lesions, difficulties, and things like this. But by we're not prescribing. Large, we're not, you know, <laughs> don't go and hit your head against a wall to change your personality. Um, but the fact that sometimes you can do a lot more with what you have than what you might imagine, um, to your point about the stories. There was something very interesting about the kind of the, the three elements of the tentativity, the clarity, and the rawness as well. It's like, I want clarity. And yet, and I found it very striking the more of these conversations that we have how the body will express when different potential voices arise in, in the background. So having the excitement when he was talking about certain things and about film and about the weekend that he's just been part of, and then suddenly there's like almost like a cloud that drifts and the body that kind of contracts a little and the voice comes down again. I'm watching this theatre of selves play out in each of us. Um, so you have the tentativity coming back there and then the rawness. And when he started expressing about the anger, that got me so excited. Mm. I'm like, maybe that's where the, the value is. If the anger is there, it's because it's protecting something precious and it isn't being allowed out, the creativity that kind of, kind of, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think about all of that? Well, there's this thing I'm thinking about, about, about giving something some air, right? Huh. So it's like there hasn't been enough air. And one of my favorite metaphors, I use it a lot in therapy. I really need to buy one. I used to have one. I don't have one anymore because <laughs> um, then I could show you. But there's this thing called a Chinese finger trap. Have you ever seen oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We saw this. Yeah. cool. Yeah. So it's like a, I'll get one of the, again, one of these. It's like a little bamboo ring, right? And you stick your fingers in it and then you're supposed to pull your fingers out. And when yeah. you pull it out, the bamboo constricts and then you can't pull your fingers out. And the yes. whole trick to it is you have to completely relax your fingers. Yeah and wiggle them out and I felt like Antonio was like a real like 
Chinese finger trap situation that every time the excitement arose, every time mm. an idea would happen, like something very quickly came by to push it down, whether it was like you don't have anything to offer or that's not a real job or whatever it would be. So even though in the beginning I was like, it's all about the doing, the stuff in the mind is all about the making space. That's where this play comes. Like, yeah. You've got to make air to imagine, to fan. I wonder what it would be like if um, yes. I, like even looking through a job, like a listing of different jobs in the film industry, I wonder if that fits or I wonder if it's just to, to try and make more and more space between the arising of that nice energy and the pushing down that says mm. you're afraid or you're angry or you're ashamed, mm. right? The more air there is, there is, the more energy can push through that yeah. yeah i love that as an example because yeah. it's true if you ever tried it you realize how impossible it you is. can break the thing like if you yeah. keep pulling it's like starts to snap it's just yeah. like ease and movement you, you make the space and it happens you know? yeah and i think the framing thing there is so important is that you know when you come up to this sense of something's not right or something's amiss or um you get to a point where there's so much of that sensation of something needs to change that it becomes very uh, it can feel very urgent and to then feel like you have to completely redesign your life, which is also a valid thing, but then to not know where to begin. I think that reframing around, what if you test this? What if you test that can be quite helpful. And then the discovery can be possible. Because when you asked him, I don't know if it was your eye that asked him about the vision of what he might be doing, he didn't have an answer. And we don't have to have the answer. It's, it's not like, you know, you have this grand vision and off you go into the world and you've got your plan and your strategy. Mm. That's also quite limiting because if you don't have that, and many of us won't, it can stop us from actually experimenting so that that vision emerges and that life emerges. Um, yeah. And I thought that that's something that can come up with that air, right? So the reason why there's a lack of clarity there is because every time the idea, every time the might be happens, yes. right? And the good news is he's in he's in the industry that he wants, Jason, yeah. right? But it's just like you're very you're very very close there. So how do you again create that space to find out what direction you might want to be moving in? Yeah. So what are some of the other things that we want to touch on? There's a creative blocking. The agency, oh, that was the other thing that I found really interesting. When he talked about being on the roller coaster, because you don't have, the, the point was yes, you don't have yeah, yeah. to be in the driving seat, you're yeah. in as a passenger. Um, and there's something about the ease and the excitement of a roller coaster, but also the the scare, the scare, scariness of it, but you know, hopefully the roller coaster is well made, that you're safe. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but it was really interesting hearing him talk a little bit about agency and about letting go and surrender. If you're on a roller coaster, you're surrendering, and life is quite a lot mm. like that. But you have to choose to get on the ride. Yes. Yeah, and also, like, okay, so how much agency, like, will the role need? And we're yes. not sure. He's kind of saying, well, I kind of enjoy going to film festivals, watching lots of things. I'm not sure if I'd want to have a role whereby it would be like this. I feel like I have to be of use to someone. Mm. There might be some information in all of that stuff about what that might look like yeah. to be of use, but also to be able to use your quality of attention that's in a variety of different ways. Yes. You know, what What might that look like? I'm, I'm kind of, oh, weirdly, <laughs> suddenly something's come to my mind. Sorry. <laughs> um, I know someone who works in TV and was talking to me about the difference between a producer and a director. And this person was talking about their role as a producer and how because they have a lot of scattered attention or they can attend to many things at the same time, 
that for them, this was the perfect role because it mm-hmm. worked with their quality of attention. And for someone who was a director where they were much more um, sort of focused and narrow in their thinking, because they needed to be in terms of not narrow in their thinking, narrow in their attention, that there were very clear differences in what kinds of types of attention would benefit both of those positions or would be an asset. And so interesting to talk about the attention quote unquote deficit, but it could actually be a deficit only in certain circumstances and actually be an asset in others. But so the the quality of attention being appropriate and useful for some roles rather than than other roles. So your point about like figuring out which of the listings that are going to be most appealing. I mean, there's such an exciting process of discovery in all of this. Well, I feel like if he does the homework that you suggested as well, (laughs) that's a real opportunity to find out what different kinds of people are doing, what different kinds of roles in the industry. So you don't have to feel worried like, it'll be networky or I'll be yeah. asking favors. It's just like, tell me about, tell me about what you do. Yeah. What does it look like? Is it fun? Is it challenging? You know, and then you start to get a feel because what was really beautiful about watching. So some of you listening, some of you will have been watching is that how you can see the energy rise and how you can see it go. Yes. And then actually Fantoni is listening into when that energy arrives, you know, follow the energy kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then kind of seeing what roles resonate with that kind of energy then it's really a matter of punching through the stasis of the fear that's keeping him yeah. tentative, right? In yeah. the stepping into the pool kind of a thing. Yeah. And I think the accountability piece, again, if we're thinking about the practical side, is absolutely key, um, especially if you're not sure about being able to attend as long as you might want to, to a specific goal, having regular points of check-in or accountability can be really, really helpful, which is maybe where community and mentorship comes in. Yeah. Um, are there any specific principles or practices that you think would be useful from this conversation with Antonio that we could point towards? Yeah, so I think on the kind of the psychodynamic side, I would say, you know, we didn't get into it very deeply again because mm-hmm. it's not a, a psychotherapy session, but about the messages that he took from his mother, from that parenting environment that fed into those ideas of shame, what he could not couldn't express back then to identify that these are messages that have been kind of swallowed in wholesale Mm -hmm. and that feel, they feel like they continue to be true, but but they're probably not true. So to be able to subvert them a little bit, Mm because the issue, you know, when you're 40, even when you're 18, isn't so much with the actual mother or father it's the internalized mother and father and yeah. you know, you've got to kind of push against that like the voice that you carry with you that says you should you should yeah. you shouldn't you should be ashamed and and finding that other voice but i'd also borrow from a behavioral uh, psychology this idea of graded exposure that oh. like you know if it's too scary to jump in the pool at one time it is all right to go up to your knees right mm. so if going up to your knees is writing to those people that we talked about or going to a different kind of a film festival or going to an open day at a film school you know if it really feels scary to take these steps take steps that feel scary enough but still manageable yeah so that you can go on the next step afterwards but the trick is not to just to really get through that um that that hesitation that's really the the blocker there and the good news is that there are small practical steps that you can take it doesn't have to be a massive sprint all in one day Um, yeah the other thing that I really loved, which we didn't circle back to, was he was talking about fighting the monoculture and finding a plurality of ways. And I think just from a creative perspective, there's something in that about um, the film industry in itself as a structure, 
I'm going to generalize a little bit here, but sort of the general film industry being something which I think you were speaking to blocking creativity and it runs in a very particular way. And so there's something there also about almost a discovery about what are the blocks in the industry? How do they relate to the ways in which he's overcoming his own blocks? And we're seeing time and again, actually, how our professional lives and our professional um it's like the ways in which our careers iterate or change or switch are so entangled with the way that we construe ourselves, that mm. we build ourselves, we understand and unpack ourselves and that personal growth. And perhaps the kind of the process in getting to this at 40 and having a very particular view, an informed view about what's working in the film industry and what's not and what's working in one's own life and what's not gives you the ability to create something systemically different. We didn't get into that. It's kind of more kind of... Well, I mean, listen to Roz's interview, right? If you're interested in this, because it's all about... Because the the industry is a system. She talks about being in a system of academia, right? And how you find your way through. And I think that there's some cross fertilization (laughs) going on here. And I'd also say, you know, for a lot of people, you want to say, you know, you have to be... you have to beware of grandiosity right but Mm -hmm. I feel like in Antonio's case like let yourself be grandiose Mm -hmm. let yourself imagine what it would be like to change the whole industry doesn't mean that's what's going to happen but it will kind of fill in a picture of what it is that you might want to be doing now don't yeah allow yourself to think it imagine it at least and to fantasize it and to dream it and and it may be that it just provides that starting point for something else to emerge that is actually really needed now that he hadn't necessarily conceived before so that space for emergence to happen um I think those are the key points that really sprang out to me. Is there anything that we're missing that we want to include? I think that that, that pretty much covers it. I mean, we can put um, some references to some of these ideas in, in the notes. And I think just that idea, that grandiosity, shame, um, mm. uh, balance, I think is just an important one. If there's a lot of shame, I mean, oftentimes narcissism is actually a defense against shame anyway, huh. right? Um, but when the shame is the dominant feeling, you know, you can do with a bit of narcissism. You can do with a bit of self-agency. You can uh-huh. do with a bit of grandiosity to kind of counter counteract that. So we That's can point you in the direction of that kind of stuff as well. Okay. And there's also, there's a book that I have not yet read, which is why I haven't recommended it, because I like to make sure I road test things before I recommend them. But it's around designing one's life. And I'll look into that. And if it's something that could be helpful, we'll, um, include, that too. we'll include that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you for uh, (laughs) taking the time to show up with us in this uh, after interview with uh, Antonio, and we'll see you at the next one. See you soon. Bye.